Chapter One of Across the Years. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Candace Selleck, Dallas, Texas. Across the Years by Eleanor H. Porter. Chapter One When Father and Mother Rebelled. Tain't more'n a month till Christmas, Lydia Ann. Did you know it? said the old man, settling back in his chair with a curiously resigned sigh. Yes, I know, Samuel, returned his wife, sending a swift glance over the top of her glasses. If Samuel Bertram noticed the glance, he made no sign. Huh, he murmured. I've got ten neckerchiefs now. How many crocheted bed slippers you got, huh? Oh, Samuel, remonstrated Lydia Ann feebly. I don't care, asserted Samuel, with sudden vehemence, sitting erect in his chair. Seems as if we might get some for Christmas-side slippers and neckerchiefs. Just cause we ain't so young as we once was, ain't no sign that we've lost all our faculty for enjoyment. But, Samuel, they're good and kind and want to give us something, faltered Lydia Ann. And, yes, I know, they're good and kind, cut in Samuel wrathfully. We've got three children, and each one brings us a Christmas present every year. They've got so they do it regular now, just the same as they. They go to bed every night, he finished, groping a little for his smile. And they put just about as much thought into it, too, he added grimly. My grief of conscience, Samuel, how can you talk so? gasped the little woman opposite. Well, they do, persisted Samuel. They buy a pair of slippers and a neckerchief and tuck em into their bag for us, and that's done. And next year they do the same, and it's done again. Oh, I know I'm ungrateful and all that acknowledged Samuel testily, but I can't help it. I've been just ready to bowl over ever since last Christmas, and now I've bowled over. Look here, Lydia Ann, we ain't so awful old. You're seventy-three, and I'm seventy-six, and we're pretty spars, both of us. Don't we live here by ourselves and do most all the work inside and outside the house? Yes, nodded Lydia Ann timidly. Well, ain't there something you can think of besides slippers you'd like for Christmas? Especially as you never wear crocheted bed slippers? Lydia Ann stirred uneasily. Why, of course, Samuel, she began hesitatingly. Bed slippers are very nice and so codfish, interrupted Samuel in open scorn. Come, he coaxed. Just supposing we was youngsters again and telling Santa Claus what we wanted, what would you ask for? Lydia Ann laughed. Her cheeks grew pink, and the lost spirit of her youth sent a sudden sparkle to her eyes. You laugh, dearie. I ain't a-gonna tell. I won't pawn on her. But it's so silly, faltered Lydia Ann, her cheeks a deeper pink. Me, an old woman. Of course, agreed Samuel promptly. It's bound to be silly, you know, 
if we want anything but slippers and neckerchiefs, he added with a chuckle. Come out with it, Lydia Ann. It's, it's a tree. Dampers and donuts, ejaculated Samuel, his jaw dropping. A tree? There, I knew you'd laugh, quavered Lydia Ann, catching up her knitting. Laugh? Not a bit of it, averred Samuel stoutly. I, I want a tree myself. You see, it's just this, apologized Lydia Ann feverishly. They give us things, of course, but they never make anything of doing it. Not even to tie em up with a piece of red ribbon. They just slip into our bedroom and leave em all done up in brown paper, and we'd find em after they gone. They made an old kind, but I'm so tired of gray, worsted, and sensible things. Of course, I can't have a tree, and I don't suppose I really want it. But I'd like something all pretty and sparkly and, and silly, you know. And there's another thing I want. Ice cream. And I want to make myself sick eating it, too, if I want to. And I want little pink and white sugar peppermints hung in bags. Samuel, can't you see how pretty a bag of pink peppermints be on that green tree? Oh, dearie me, broke off the little old woman breathlessly, falling back in her chair. How I'm running on. I reckon I am in my dotage. For a moment, Samuel did not reply. His brow was puckered into a prodigious frown, and his right hand had sought the back of his head, as was always the case when in deep thought. Suddenly, his face cleared. "'Ye ain't your daughter's by gum, ye ain't,' he cried excitedly. "'And I ain't neither. And what's more, you're a-goin' to have that tree, ice cream, pink peppermints, and all.' Oh, my grief and conscience, Samuel, quavered Lydia Ann. Well, you be. We can do it easy, too. We'll have it the night before Christmas. The children don't get here until Christmas Day ever, you know. So taunt and fear a mite with their visit, and twill be all over before they get here. And we'll make a party of it, too, went on Samuel gleefully. There's the Hopkinses and old Miss Newcomb and Uncle Tim and Grandpa Gowan. They'll all come be glad to. Samuel, could we? cried Lydia Ann, incredulous but joyous. Could we really? I'll get the tree myself, murmured Samuel aloud. And we can buy some old that shiny stuff up there to store to trim it. And I'll get some of that pink and white tarleton for bags chimed in Lydia Ann happily. The pink for the white peppermints and the white for the pink. Samuel, won't it be fun? And to hear her, one would have thought 17 instead of 73. A week before Christmas, Samuel Bertram's only daughter, Ella, wrote this letter to each of her brothers. It has occurred to me that it might be an excellent idea if we would plan to spend a little more time this year with father and mother when we go for our usual Christmas visit. And what kind of a scheme do you think it would be for us to take the children and make a real family reunion of it? 
I figure that we could all get there by four o'clock the day before Christmas, if we planned for it. And by staying perhaps two days after Christmas, we could make quite a visit. What do you say? You see, father and mother are getting old, and we can't have them with us many more years anyway. I'm sure this would please them. Only we must be very careful not to make it too exciting for them. The letters were dispatched with haste, and almost by return mail came the answers, an empathetic approval, and a promise of hearty cooperation signed Frank and Ned. What is everyone's business is apt to be no one's business, however, and no one notified Mr. and Mrs. Samuel Bertram of the change of plan, each thinking that one of the others would attend to it. As for presents mused Ella, as she hurried downtown two days before Christmas. I can never think what to give them, but after all, there's nothing better than bed slippers for mother and a warm neckerchief for father's throat. Those are always good. The day before Christmas dawned clear and cold. It had been expected that Ella, her husband, and her twin boys would arrive at the little village station a full hour before the train from the north bringing Ned, Mrs. Ned, and little Mabel together with Frank and his wife and son. But Ella's train was late, so late that it came in a scant five minutes ahead of the other one, and thus brought about a joyous greeting between the reunited families on the station platform itself. "'Why, it's not so bad we were late, after all,' cried Ella. "'This is fine. Now we can all go together.' "'Jove, but we're a cheery sight,' exclaimed Ned, as he counted off on his fingers the blooming faces of those about him. "'There are ten of us. Only fancy what they'll say at the house when they catch their first glimpse of us,' chuckled Frank. Their dear old souls, how father's eyes will shine and mother's capstrings bob. By the way, of course, they know we're coming today. There was a moment's silence. Then Ella flushed. Why, didn't, didn't you tell them? She stammered. I? Why, of course not, cried Frank. I supposed you were going to. But maybe Ned... He paused and turned questioning eyes on his brother. Ned shook his head. Not I, he said. Why then, then they don't know, cried Ella aghast. They don't know a thing. Never mind, come on, laughed Ned. What difference does it make? What difference does it make, retorted Ella indignantly. Ned Bertram, do you suppose I'd take the risk of ten of us pouncing down on those two poor dears like this by surprise? <laughs> Certainly not. But, Ella, they're expecting six of us tomorrow, remonstrated Frank. Very true, but that's not ten of us today. I know, but so far as the work is concerned, you girls always do the most of that, cut in Ned. Work? It isn't the work almost groaned Ella. Don't you see, boys? It's the excitement. Twouldn't do for them at all. We must fix it some way. Come, let's go into the waiting room and talk it up. It was not until after considerable discussion that their plans were finally made and their line of march decided upon. To advance in the open and take the house by storm was clearly out of the question, though Ned remarked, 
that in all probability the dear old creatures would be dozing before the fire and would not discover their approach still it would be wiser to be on the safe side and it was unanimously voted that frank should go ahead alone and reconnoitre preparing the way for the rest who could wait meanwhile at the hotel not far from the house the short winter day had drawn almost to a close when frank turned in at the familiar gate of the bertram homestead his hand had not reached the white knob of the bell however when the eager expectancy of his face gave way to incredulous amazement from within clear and distinct had come the sound of a violin why what he cried under his breath and softly pushed open the door the hall was almost dark but the room beyond was a blaze of light with the curtains drawn and apparently every lamp the house contained trimmed and burning he himself stood in the shadow and his entrance had been unnoticed though almost the entire expanse of the room before him was visible through the half-open doorway in the farther corner of the room a large evergreen tree sparkling with candles and tinsel stars was hung with bags of pink and white tartlin and festoons of puffy popcorn near it sat an old man playing the violin and his whole weary self seemed to quiver with joy to the tune of his merry money musk in the centre of the room two grey-haired men were dancing an old-time jig bobbing bowing and twisting about it in a gleeful attempt to outdo each other watching them were three old women and another old man eating ice cream and contentedly munching peppermints and here there and everywhere was the mistress of the house lydia and herself cheeks flushed and cap strings flying but plainly in her element and joyously content for a time the man by the hall door watched in silent amazement then with a low ejaculation he softly let himself out of the house and hurried back to the hotel well greeted half a dozen voices and one added what did they say frank shook his head and dropped into the nearest chair i i didn't tell them he stammered faintly. "'Didn't tell them!' exclaimed Ella. "'Why, Frank, what was the trouble? Were they sick? Surely they were not upset by just seeing you!' Frank's eyes twinkled. "'Well, hardly,' he retorted. "'They... they're having a party.' "'A party?' shrieked half a dozen voices. "'Yes, and a tree and a dance and ice cream and pink peppermints.' Frank enumerated in one breath. There was a chorus of expostulation. Then Ella's voice rose dominant. Frank Bertram, what on earth do you mean? She demanded. Who is having all this? Father and mother, returned Frank, his lips twitching a little. And they've got old Uncle Tim and half a dozen others for guests. But Frank, how can they be having all this? faltered ella why father's not so very far from eighty years old and mabel mabel my dear she broke off in sudden reproof to her young niece who had come under her glance at that moment those are presents for grandpa and grandma i wouldn't play with them 
Mabel hesitated, plainly rebellious. In each hand was a gray worsted bed slipper. Atop of her yellow curls was a brown neckerchief, cap fashion. There were exclamations from two men, and Ned came forward hurriedly. Oh, I say, Ella, he remonstrated. You didn't get those for presents, did you? But I did. Why not? questioned Ella. Why, I got slippers, you see. I, I never can think of anything else. Besides, they're always good, anyhow. But I should think you, a woman, could think of something. Never mind, interrupted Ella airily. Mother's a dear, and she won't care if she does get two pairs. But she won't want three pairs, groaned Frank. I got slippers, too. There was a moment of dismayed silence. Then everybody laughed. Ella was the first to speak. It's too bad, of course, but never mind. Mother'll see the joke of it, just as we do. You know, she never seems to care what we give her. Old people don't have many wants, I fancy. Frank stirred suddenly and walked the length of the room. Then he wheeled about. Do you know, he said a little unsteadily, I believe that's a mistake. A mistake? What's a mistake? The notion that old people don't have any wants. See here, they're having a party down there. A party. And they must have got it up themselves. Such being the case, of course, they had what they wanted for entertainment, and they aren't drinking tea or knitting socks. They're dancing jigs and eating pink peppermints and ice cream. Their eyes are like stars, and mother's cheeks are like a girl's. And if you think I'm going to offer those spry young things a brown neckerchief and a pair of bed slippers, you're much mistaken, because I'm not. But what can we do? stammered Ella. We can buy something else, here, tonight, in the village, declared Frank, and tomorrow morning we can go and give it to them. But by what? I haven't the least idea, retorted Frank, with an airy wave of his hands. Maybe it will be a diamond tiara and a polo pony. Anyway, I know what twon't be twon't the slippers or a neckerchief. It was later than usual that Christmas morning when Mr. and Mrs. Samuel Bertram arose. If the old stomachs had rebelled a little at the pink peppermints and ice cream, and if the old feet had charged toll for their unaccustomed activity of the night before, neither Samuel nor Lydia Ann would acknowledge it. Well, we had it, that cherry, chuckled Samuel, as he somewhat stiffly thrust himself into his clothes. We did, Samuel, we did, quavered Lydia Ann joyfully. And wasn't it nice? Miss Hopkins said she never had such a good time in all her life before. And Uncle Tim and Grandpa Gowan, they were as spry as crickets, and they made old Pete tune up that money must three times before they quit. Yes, and my grief of conscience, Samuel, tis late, ain't it? broke off Lydia Ann, anxiously peering at the clock. Come, come, dear. You'll have to hurry about getting that tree out the front room before the children get here. I wouldn't have them know for the world how silly we've been, not for the world. 
samuel bridled but his movements showed a perceptible increase of speed well i do know he chuckled twasn't anything so awful after all but say he called triumphantly a moment later as he stopped and picked up a small object from the floor they will find out if you don't hide these ere peppermints the tree and the peppermints had scarcely disappeared from the front room when frank arrived oh they're all coming in a minute he laughed gaily in response to the surprised questions that greeted him and we've brought the children too you'll have a houseful all right a houseful it certainly proved to be and a lively one too in the kitchen the girls as usual reigned supreme and bundled off the little mother to visit with the boys and the children during the process of dinner getting and after dinner they all gathered around the fireplace for games and stories and now said frank when darkness came and the lamps were lighted i've got a new game but it's a very mysterious game and you father and mother must not know a thing about it until it's all ready and forthwith he conducted the little old man and the little old woman out into the kitchen with great ceremony say samuel seems as if this was most as good as the party whispered lydia ann excitedly as they waited in the dark i know it and they hadn't asked us once if we was getting too tired. Did you notice, Lydianne? Yes. And they didn't make us take naps either. Ain't it nice? Why, Samuel, I, I shan't mind even the bed slippers now. She laughed. Ready, called Frank, and the dining room door was thrown wide open. The old eyes blinked a little at the sudden light then widened in amazement. Before the fireplace was a low sewing table with a chair at each end. The table itself was covered with a white cloth, which lay fascinating little ridges and hillocks indicating concealed treasures beneath. About the table were grouped the four eager-eyed grandchildren and their no less eager-eyed parents. With still another ceremonious bow, Frank escorted the little old man and the little old woman to the waiting chairs, and with a merry one, two, three, whisked off the cloth. For one amazed instant, there was absolute silence. Then Lydia Ann drew a long breath. Samuel, Samuel, their presents, and for us, she quavered joyously. It's the bed slippers and the neckerchiefs, and they did them all up in white paper and red ribbons, just for us. At the corner of the mantelpiece, a woman choked suddenly and felt for her handkerchief. Behind her, two men turned sharply and walked toward the window, but the little old man and the little old woman did not notice it. They had forgotten everything but the enchanting array of mysteries before them trembling old hands hovered over the many-sized many-shaped packages and gently patted the perky red bows but not until the grandchildren impatiently demanded why don't you look at em did they venture to untie a single ribbon 
then the old eyes shone indeed at sight of the wonderful things disclosed a fine lace tie and a bottle of perfume a reading-glass and a basket of figs some dates raisins nuts and candies and a little electric pocket lantern which would at the pressure of a thumb bring to light all the secrets of the darkest of rooms there were books too such as ella and frank themselves liked to read and there was a handsome little clock for the mantel but there was not anywhere a pair of bed slippers or a neckerchief at last they were all opened and there remained not one little red bow to untie on the table in all their pristine glory lay the presents and half buried in bits of paper and red ribbon sat the amazed but blissfully happy little old man and little old woman lydia ann's lips parted but the trembling words of thanks froze on her tongue her eyes had fallen on a small pink peppermint on the floor no no we can't take em she cried agitatedly we had not to we was wicked and ungrateful and last night we we she paused helplessly her eyes on her husband's face samuel you you tell she faltered samuel cleared his throat well you see we yes last night we we he could say no more we we had a party to to make up for things blurted out lydia ann and so you see we we hadn't ought to take these all these frank winced his face grew a little white as he threw a quick glance into his sister's eyes but his voice when he spoke was clear and strong from sheer force of will a party good i'm glad of it did you enjoy it he asked samuel's jaw dropped lydia ann stared speechlessly this cordial approval of their folly was more incomprehensible than had been the failure to relegate them to naps and knitting earlier in the afternoon and you've got another party tonight too haven't you went on frank smoothly as for those things there he waved his hand toward the table of course you'll take them why we picked them out on purpose for you every single one of them and only think how we'd feel if you didn't take them don't you like them like them cried lydia ann and at the stifled sob in her voice three men and three women caught their breath sharply and tried to swallow the lumps in their throats wait we just love them no one spoke the grandchildren stared silently a little awed ella frank and ned stirred restlessly and looked anywhere but at each other lydia ann flushed then paled of course if if you picked em out specially for us she began hesitatingly her eyes anxiously scanning the perturbed faces of her children we did especially came the prompt reply lydia ann's gaze drifted to the table and lingered upon the clock the tie and the bottle of perfume specially for us she murmured softly then her face suddenly cleared why then we'll have to take them won't we 
she cried, her voice tremulous with ecstasy. We'll just have to, whether we ought to or not. You certainly will, declared Frank, and this time he did not try to hide the shake in his voice. Oh, breathed Lydia Ann blissfully. Samuel, I, I think I'll take a fig, please. End of chapter one. Recording by Candace Stellick, Dallas, Texas.